All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson, and we're here once again in fabulous Salt Lake City in our studio. Welcome. There are those that predicted that our studio would never last. It is going strong. It is well-funded, and um, and I'm happy to be here and see. We we have usually two-thirds full house and sometimes standing room, so... Um, we, we get good crowds out here, and it's always a good time. Right, Ted? Thanks, man. <laughs> um, so um, tonight is kind of a special podcast, and um, um, we'll, we'll get there in a second. But first, I want to introduce, um, in, in the last couple of years, um, two of the, probably two of the, some of this, two <laughs> of the most important women in my life um, agreed to come on this podcast with me. First, returning in her triumphant glory is none other than my child bride, um, Zilpha Larson. Hi, Zilpha. <laughs> Hello. Um, Zilpha and I, we've been, we're going to have um, the first anniversary of our formal divorce here in the fall, right? That's right. Well, welcome back. Uh, Thanks, John. It's always good to have you on. Um, and we've got some, Zilpha, um, not with Mormon expression, but we've got some other stuff that we've started teasing online. You're coming back into the fold, right? That's right. Yeah. Got my marching orders. We're, we're excited to have you back. Um, Zilpha has, um, even though we've had some hard times, um, has remained a true friend through, through the years, and I appreciate you being here. Um, my counselor um, of late has been um, Lindsay Park. Well, Lindsay, welcome back to Mormon Expression. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't introduce me as your child bride. <laughs> But you could still be, hey, hey. (laughs) I've had enough of those. All right. um, (laughs) Let's start with the, well, let's see. So what's going on? Um, This podcast will be released early on, we release them on Mondays. Um, If you're hearing it and you have time, um, Thursday after this comes out, which is the, what is, is it the 7th? Does anybody, anybody have a calendar? The 5th. Um, Here in the studio in Salt Lake City, we'll be screening the film Satanist. Satanus. Satanus. Um, it's a 1970 documentary that I've referred to several times in the podcast um, about. Um, Is this the one with the, all the sex scenes? It has that. Yes. It does have a little <laughs> bit of nudity. There, the, but it's, the, the black mass involves a naked woman on an altar. It's, yeah, it's like ritualistic. Yeah, so it's all good. Ritualistic nudity is good, right? <laughs> um, but um, I referenced that it's about an hour long. We'll be. Um, Screening the film here. I'm getting a popcorn machine for the studio, so you can look forward to that. And um, um, at about 45 minutes into the documentary, the missionaries tracked out the um, headquarters of the Church of the Devil, uh, which is the, the prime point. So we'll be having that, and we'll be having a discussion. Uh, it's just a $5 cover charge, a donation to the Whitefields to come in, and, and we'll, we'll be happy to have a, have a great time. So they just pay at the door? They don't have to like... Uh, they should get a ticket. Um, they can pay the door, but we have a limited space here. We can only see about 35 people in the studio. So if we sell out, um, then people with a ticket will be allowed in. Otherwise, we'll just take your $5 at the door. <laughs> so I mean, isn't that way standard concerts generally work? You can yeah. try to just show up if you want, um, but it's better to go online and get a ticket. Um, if you go to whitefieldseducational.org slash events, you'll see a list of all of our events, and um, you'll be able to get a ticket there um 
I'm pleased to announce that on the 7th of June, we'll be um, having a broadcast live um, from Phoenix. Uh, Mormon Expression is going on the road. This will be the first of our live shows. I'll be hitting Phoenix, then Portland, then Seattle, and in the fall, Virginia. We're, um, we're going to all the hotbeds of, uh, of Mormonism and Mormon dissidents. Dissonance? Dis- dissidents. Dissidents. Um, and, uh, Slow down on that Heineken, John. <laughs> this is a 3-2 beer. I one time tried to see how much 3-2 beer it would take to make me drunk. I don't think it's physically possible for me <laughs> to get drunk on 3-2 beer. I don't know what that means, but I'm oh, sure you, it's... you act all <laughs> I really don't know what that the means. The grocery but... store level of alcohol is pretty low. And that's the so it the takes three point two percent. I I was watching a doc. It was a, it a terrible a documentary on beer. Netflix. Um, you can avoid it. It's called How Beer Saved the World. It's really awful. But they were talking about which is true in the Middle Ages. You didn't drink the water, you know, because they dumped everything into the water, right? And so everybody drank beer. But the best line from it was, "Well, they gave it to children." But it's okay because it was only 3% alcohol. Uh, middle-aged children and Utah residents, we're all on the same level of sin. All right. Um, so, yes, I do have a Heineken in front of me. Thank you for pointing that out. All right. Um, um, so those are some of, the, some of the great things we have going on. There's always uh, great things going on with um, 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 Whitefields. Of course, we continue to... to um, do our counseling services. Um, Lindsay, of course, uh, um, is the director of counseling services inside uh, Whitefields. Um, and, and for now, this is um, Strictly Available in Utah. Lindsay, what do you have going on? So we have another session starting up on June 14th. It's a six-week session again with Tim. And this is the Mormon Identity Disruption class. No, well, Workshop? Sorry. Religious Identity Disruption. Um, uh, yes, religious identity disruption. Yeah. I was reading the flyer. Sorry. I, maybe I need to change the wording on that. But uh, it's been really popular. We have Jenny in the studio right now who is also, um, she's currently running a group right now. So I think we're going to keep going as long as there's a need. So The, the, the groups have been um, well received. Um, we have folks here actually went to one of the groups, right? Oh, yeah. Come on up. Testify. I will testify to the group. Um, I went to the Religious Disruption, and I really recommend it. It helped me a lot. Um, Tim is great. You want to just make him your best friend. He's wonderful. And I encourage anyone to go. If you have any doubts, just jump on in, and you won't regret it. And you you and your husband went together, right? Yes. And you were both out of the church, but it was still... Helpful question mark? Yes. As far as I'm concerned, we're out of the church. Oh, okay. So. okay. I don't mean to back up. So, it doesn't it matter is my point. Where, it does not matter where you're at. If you, if you have any um, question of how to react to the situation you're in, bring it. Because the, the session is not really t- about trying to get people out of religion or whatever. It's really helping people as they go through faith crisis, whatever that means, Reestablishing their their identity and how how to navigate that on a personal level. Exactly, they won't tell you what to do, no matter how hard you try to get Tim to tell you what to do. He won't do it. No, he so won't. he'll just talk you through it. And the group is great because you'll find friends who are in the same circumstances as yourself. Excellent, thank you very much. And I also have a bone to pick. I was listening to Mormon Expression oh, this no. morning, Uh-oh. 
And you said Voices was boring. Did I say Voices? Katrine, <laughs> Katrine, by the way, is the director of Voices. Thank you, Katrine. I did. Did I say it was boring? Under what you, you're taking me out I think of context. You used words mundane, but the truth is, there will be episodes that you do find a little dull. But I promise, if you're the accountant and you're listening to accountant going through a faith crisis, you will be enthralled. So, if one episode isn't your cup of tea. The next one will be your beer. <laughs> they, they um, I, I apologize. Because when I first had my faith crisis, way back when I was in the church, I gobbled up these sort of stories. There are repositories around. Uh, the Ex-Mormon Foundation has one. RFM has one. And I just read story after story after story, and it made me feel normal. And we have some great stuff. We have transgender people there. Lindsay makes me cry in one of those things. She did. Like she, a big boy. Yeah, you were crying. I, I can testify to that. And um, I haven't had any transgender people, so if you want to be on Voices, come on. I'll take you. <laughs> so we, we, we've, we've, had, we've had all types of people, and we really do want people to be able to tell their story. The reason I started Voices is because there's all these fascinating stories that people have to tell that's individual. And we were trying to balance that. In, in the old days of Mormon Expression, we would throw those in the main feed. And I just realized there were so many interesting and compelling stories that people had to tell that it needed its own thing. Exactly. Katrine has taken that over and done a fabulous job. And um, you can be contacted at voices at mormonexpression.com. Exactly. And if you don't think you have an interesting story, I promise you do. Everyone has a voice and a story to tell. And how would John know anyway? Because he doesn't listen yeah, to podcasts anymore. Yeah, he doesn't listen anymore. anymore so. Listen, it's not personal. I, don't, I hate Mormon <laughs> shit. So I don't listen to anything that deals with Mormonism. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. <laughs> um, all right, uh, the last thing I'm going to, to announce, we, we started out with our counseling services. That's been great. Um, one of the purposes of the Whitefields is to move on and help people in all areas of identity transition from religion. And we're moving into phases of things that aren't necessarily of a religious nature. Um, but uh, impact people. We will be having our divorce class. Um, this class uh, is a six-week um, course on how to get a divorce. Um, how you got there or why you want to get a divorce is nobody's business but your own. There will be no religion mentioned during the six-week course. We are going to have um, a financial planner tell you how to deal with the finances. We are going to have a child psychologist tell you how not to fuck up your kids. We're going to have a mediator to tell you how to talk to this person for the rest of your life, and we're going to have a, um, an attorney who will walk you through the laws. This one will be, of course, um, Utah-based, um, very reasonable cost. We have a panel, a, a fabulous panel um, of people who I personally can vouch for who have done successful divorces um, and um, have been able to, to move on. It will be co-hosted by me and my wonderful ex-wife, uh, Zilpha. Right, I'll be there. Thank you. Do I have to be there for all of them, though? No, no, you don't. Um, just the ones that you care about. All right, um, let's go to the news. You guys are already throwing me looks. Do, do, are, are you guys not giving me looks? It's all this feminine energy over here. I don't know. Like Zilfa and I are on the same cycle now. All of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, so the news. Um, of course, we've talked several times in the last few weeks about um, the, what do they call themselves, the ordained women movement. Um, and there, although the Tribune picked up an article on ordained women, that's not really what I want to talk about today. The LDS Church, 
I can't remember if I just did this on one of my rants afterwards. Sometimes we shut off the microphones and then I start saying really interesting things. Um, or if I did it on air, so you'll forgive me. But I laid out one time a course of action that the church should take to shut down the ordained women movement. Did I, did I do this on air? Did anybody remember? Yeah. See, you guys don't listen either. You all make fun of me for not listening <laughs> to the podcast. No one here listens to it. Yes. It was on air? Okay, the church has, in fact, taken my step one. And my step one was for them to form another group of women because what they want to do is they want to neutralize ordained women. And they, in fact, have done that. And um, the, the group was started supposedly grassroots. It wasn't started by a church. Well, it, technically not. I mean, the woman that started it is a partner, a Bonneville blogging social media partner of the church. So she does, in fact, work for the church. Um, so the, the group um, is called Mormon Women Stand. Oh, you got their Facebook group up here. Um, I promise I won't accuse Lindsay of looking at porn in the web um, during the podcast more. It's actually Facebook that you're looking at. It's true. I have a lot of stuff that it, that's important. A lot of stuff that needs to be done. All right, so the Mormon women stand, um, and the church has sort of acknowledged them and then put their big manly, meaty hands around these women and said, this is the way it's done, see? And so the Mormon women stand, what, what, is, what are they standing for other than not I'm being going to, Can I women? read you their about section? Please. So I'm very, I'm very well acquainted with this group. So it says, Mormon women stand, LDS women who without hesitation sustain the Lord's prophet, the family proclamation as doctrine and our divine role as covenant women for Christ. So they take it even farther than the church goes. They think it's doctrine. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, the, who's, who's, the, the, according to the quote I read from the Desert News, an online group whose mission is to stain the Lord's prophets, the family proclamation as doctrine, <laughs> which, which the church has been trying to step away from, and our divine role as covenant women for Christ. Fun side note. I don't know if you followed the Frozen... Um, blog post about the frozen gay agenda. Wait, isn't that that movie that's trying to recruit all of our young ladies to be lesbians? Yes. What? You didn't hear about this? So Catherine Skaggs is the well-behaved Mormon woman. That's her blog, and she started that name, of course, to go against Laurel Thatcher Ulrich's quote, uh, well-behaved women seldom make history. And so she, of course, called herself well-behaved Mormon woman, and she blogged about Frozen, and she pointed out all the gay agendas in it. And it blew open for her in an embarrassing way. The Huffington Post picked up on it. Uh, Many, many news organizations did. And even her closest supporters said, I don't know about that. And so she actually stepped down from Bonneville Communications for a little while. And then she started this group, Mormon Women Stand, which now has 28,000 likes. And now, like within two months, this is a great PR strategy. Good job, church. Within two months... They take a two-month-old Facebook group and they invite the, the creators of that who just, you know, a couple weeks ago got embroiled in a controversy. They take a bunch of screenshots, they put it out there, and then they say, we're meeting with Mormon women about the concerns of Mormon women. Yeah, so the church this week um, held a 90-minute video conference and they released it showing that, see, not all women want equal rights. And we will um, talk to good women, yeah. well-behaved women. The yeah. picture, I wish I had the picture, because, and I feel bad because I don't want to shame people, but 
it is bright and pastel, this, the picture of the women. Yeah, and so are these women. Yes, indeed. So the church, once again, is now following my course of action. So if you want to review and see what their next step is, um, they are doing what I suggested they do, too. Yeah, it's very stable and sustainable. That's a great strategy to find a Facebook group that's existed for two months and meet with them and then plaster it all over the news. Good job. Okay, so speaking of church outreach, um, Bob Church, who is um, the uh, former prosecutor for Orem and has been appointed director of the Utah Prosecution Council, um, which is a statewide training agency for public attorneys, quoted um, the Doctrine and Covenants in his, um, in his um, inauguration speech and said, I quote, I, the Lord, am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not, you have no promise. Um, so, nice Didn't he know, also make a dumb blonde joke, too? He did. I left that out because I didn't want to get, yeah. But uh, he did make a dumb blonde joke. But, um, yes, um, so the separation of church and state is alive and well. In, 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 in fairness, he may not be smart enough to know that Doctrine and Covenants is not used by anybody else. Um, um, but, yeah, so there you go. They're right there. The, uh, the, the prosecution attorneys are quoting scripture to us. Um, good job, guys. And the last story that got picked up um, that I thought was fascinating, this is actually not news, but um, I don't know if you read this. There's been a, they've been refurbishing the Washington Monument um, for a long time. And I actually, I read a couple of articles, and I was, I was, um, America has lost its gas for um, um, Masonic uh, um, conspiracy theories. Because the phrase holiness to the Lord is actually a Masonic phrase that the Mormons stole from the Masons. So I was curious when I read the article. Uh, so the article's been picked up as they've been doing this refurbishment of the Washington, you know, that great big penis-looking thing that's right by the White House. Um, there's there's a great big stone that was carved here in Utah and then apparently hauled um, to Washington at great expense that is carved holiness to the Lord that's part of the, the monument. I believe, if I remember correctly, all the different states and territories at the time contributed something. And Utah's contribution was, of course, again, to make sure the church and state were not um, separated in any real sort of way. But there you have holiness to the Lord. And once again, I was very disappointed nobody picked up the Masonic um, overtones. Maybe that's why it's gone undetected for so long. Because if you go to Washington, there's Masonic bullshit all over the place. Pick up your dollar bill. When my sister was married, the temple sealer told us that the Masons actually stole the stuff from us. Not the other way well, around. The, yes, the, there was the true well, the temple true ceremony church. that the Masons corrupted. Mm-hmm. The, see, the, the Knights Templar went to <laughs> went to uh, Israel, and there they found this stuff, you know, about Hiram and Biff and all that, and brought it back. And yeah, common I have, knowledge. Yeah, I have a news story. Mm-hmm. This is important news. Go ahead, please. They are changing the garments again. <gasps> what? For real. If you're a lady, the new garments are going to have cup sizes now. Wow. That's awesome. I have it right here. I'm looking at the picture. It says change is coming. Dry silk and nylon mesh tops are being redesigned. (laughs) The new designs will be a square neck. The round neck tops will be discontinued. Sorry, ladies. Do they have like an uh, underwire support? You don't have to wear a bra over the top. I don't know. These are going to be introduced in early June, so 
be prepared for that. And the nylon mesh to square neck top will be released several months later. That sounds fancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, that's important news. I just thought you'd want to know that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, if you live in Utah and you go to the gym, people don't, like, this is supposed to be sacred. Can Mormons please keep their underwear sacred so I don't have to see it at the gym? That's all my, that's all my request. What do they do? Walk around? They it? walk around in it. Did they not do that in the girls' locker room? No. These guys walk Wouldn't around. Wouldn't you in this like stuff. to know? <laughs> um, yeah, they walk around in it. Um, well, now they'll be walking around showing off their cup size. So. It's about time. All right, let's move on to the um, um, topic for the evening. I, I have placed this, I've titled this several different things. Um, and I was reviewing the list um, with uh, with Zilpha earlier, and um, I, I really titled this "Dialogues with Myself," partly as a nod to the wonderful um, collection of essays by Eugene England that I would suggest everybody read. Um, but um, I, I, I called this at one point "Things I've Changed My Mind About." Uh, that's not really fair. These are things that I have struggled with and continue to struggle with. I know that um, rhetorically. I sound a lot more um, sure of myself or definitive in my opinion than I am in actual life. And um, there's some things I'm absolutely right about, and, and you guys don't need to worry about those because I'm right about those. But there are some things that I do sort of um, struggle with a little bit more, and I can see double sides of the issues. And some of these things I've sort of evolved my, my stand over time. Now, a, a brief... A, a brief history of my own faith journey. Um, I really started studying um, the the church uh, probably around about 2001, 2002. It was about the time my children were born. And by the time my son was born in 2003, I had pretty well lost my faith in God and um, lost my faith that the church was anything um, divine or divinely inspired, although I still believed it to be principally good. Um, I I very much wanted to make it work in the sort of New Order Mormon style, and I probably did that for about two years. The last time I went to church was in the fall of 2005. There were two elements that made me stop going to church. The last time I went to church was a lesson on Isaac and Jacob, and I asked the instructor um, if God told us to kill our children, should we do it or not? Um, and the room actually erupted. Some people got very mad, but it was a very intense discussion. And I realized the fact that we were even having a discussion showed that this was not this, you know, the answer to that question is no. In case case anybody's playing along, if God tells you to kill somebody, the answer is no, and you need to um, get some help right away. (laughs) Um, But but the fact that that was still um, a vibrant issue in 2005, and my daughter was three years old at the time and was going to start... um, nursery and at the time Zilpha I believe you had almost quit going to church completely. No I did um, You did the nursery um, but you wouldn't go to Sunday school or sacramenting. I would go to Sunday school most of the time and go to sacramenting about once a month at the time and and I looked at my, my daughter and I knew that I could keep going and making it work can do all this intellectual gymnastics um, but 
I knew that as soon as she got into nursery, into the sunbeams, she would start absorbing. It started having her color pictures of Gordon B. Hinckley, and she would start absorbing it. So um, issues of women in the church and feminism in the church have always been very important to me because they are, in fact, the reason that I quit going to church um, um, because I didn't want my daughter to absorb any of that. Um, so 2005, we started the podcast um, four years later in 2009, um, in the meantime, I ran the post-Mormon group in Davis County. I'd been involved in the post-Mormon community, um, and I'd given some talks and some speeches and stuff. So I, I was somewhat involved. But we didn't start the podcast till I was out in North Carolina, finished graduate school. We moved away from a lot of our friends and just had time on, on my hands. At the time, um, I've, I've never made any pretense that Mormon Stories was a huge influence on me in getting started. At the time, Mormon Stories was on hiatus. Um, John Dillon had stopped recording for a while. So there was kind of this, well, there needs to be something out there. So, so a few friends and I, I started it. The reason I bring this up is because by the time I started it, I was really through, through the anger phase. But um, I, uh, apparently, if you listen to the podcast, became very interested in Mormon history and Mormon doctrine. And I read a colossal, embarrassing amount of material on it um, um, during those years. So I had achieved a really high level of, of, of sort of... Um, knowledge about the church history and i was out there on the coast and it i just had nowhere to no energy outlet for it so that was kind of the the start of the podcast um i i say that because i really wasn't angry at the church and and it's it's really common to go through that anger phase but my anger phase was over by the time i started the podcast it was more um this interest in it once I started it, the podcast took off in ways that I never imagined. I never started the podcast. I was just talking to, to, to Lindsay before. I remember in one of the early conversations, we hoped at some point we'd have a 1,000 listeners. And that, that was my mark of success. The podcast would have been success if we could reach a 1,000 people. I don't know where I got that number. Um, and we hit that number in, I think, five weeks. Um, which was which was amazing, and I've always been floored by the growth and the 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 outreach. As a matter of fact, I was at a concert last night, and um, I went to get my tickets at Will Call, and the person at the booth, you know, she gave my tickets and said, "I love the podcast." Or what? I, I don't even know how these people know what I look like. Um, but did I tell you that I was at my parents' house and their neighbor came up to me and said they heard me on the podcast? Oh, so check if you're parents. listening. Hello. Mm-hmm. So, but 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 the 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 growth and the success has always been unexpected and always been a little bit, I don't know, disconcerting to me. I, I, don't, I don't know that it's, that Zilpa, uh, you were involved. It's nothing we ever set out for. We never really were looking. We wanted to have reach. We wanted to um, help as many people as we could, but there were never any success milestones as far as we were, we were after. Yeah, we didn't have any, any idea how many people would actually be interested. Right. And I remember we had the Facebook page, and I remember seeing 74 like likes on our page, and that just blew my mind. Like, who are these 74 people? That's right, crazy. Right. Um, and 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 now, um, when we release, we release usually on a Monday. Um, nine hours later, we usually have about 5,000 downloads within the first eight hours. Um, uh, just of the new podcast, we've been hitting about 90,000 downloads a month. Um, has an enormous reach all over the globe. Um, it's fascinating. It's something I still to this day I don't I don't quite understand. Um, um, but the 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 point of that is that suddenly we became confronted with things that 
we didn't even know existed. I knew because I'd worked with Post Mormon and some of those other organizations. I knew that there was pain, and 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 the the circumstance of leaving the church was painful for me in an identity sort of way. But I didn't realize how deep the rabbit hole went. And as as we as we've done this through the years. What do we want you guys to talk? <laughs> As we've done this through the years, the sheer volume of, of, of pain and transition and identity crisis and families being blown to hell and careers being blown to hell and people just suffering through this has been an enormous, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's been something of beauty. It's been something of disgust. It's been this this thing that I call the problem of the church. Um, I, I mentioned it briefly in the last few weeks, and we're going to talk about it again a little bit more tonight. You think I have something to say after That's that? That's the signal for like... you to talk. I need a drink. <laughs> well, since this podcast is about you, it's hard. To, um, it's hard to take the reins. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that, that I have changed my mind on or, or, or in particular things that have been a struggle for me personally over the years. And I'm going to go to kind of go from light to, to, to uh, heavy. Um, Wait, that and our job light? is to interrupt you, right? Well, you guys, the reason I, I asked you guys to come on is, first of all, it feels weird to sort of, it was masturbatory to sort of talk here all by So he wants us to help him, if you Woo-hoo. know what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's not sin if somebody else is doing it. <laughs> uh, and and um and 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 really um you guys have seen a lot of there's there is an a, an enormous amount of behind the scenes um um conflict and dialogue and sometimes you know we come on the podcast we sound so so sure of ourselves but you don't see the hours and hours and hours of discussion that goes behind these topics and trying to figure out how to reach people and you two have seen that more than anybody well, Zilpha more than anyone. I mean, when I first met you guys and I came to your house, you'd been doing this for a while. And every time I came, every single time there were people there waiting. And then there were people that would stay late and just want to talk to you. And 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 uh, you guys have always opened your house and still open your house to people. So, And part of that, I mean, it wasn't really a burden because we enjoyed talking about these things and... And hearing people's stories. Always, always. Uh, we've enjoyed, I've met thousands and thousands of people, literally. And, and it's, it's in, enriched my life in, in, in a way that's hard to, hard to explain. It's difficult sometimes um, um, because I get um, outreach from people who, um, well, I, people who suffer from mental illness, people who are in, people who are in real crisis, who need things that are way beyond my power to deal with. I've told the story before that but it was when, when Zilpha and I were going through the divorce. And divorce, no, no matter how amicable you try to make it, is a difficult thing to do. And I think you were out that night and somebody came over to my house and they talked about their marriage for like three hours. And I just, I tried to, I tried to, but I'm all I could think about is, I don't know, I, I fucked my own up. How am I going to be able to tell you anything? But so many people just need their voice to be heard. They need to know that somebody else out there understands. And frankly, that's one of the reasons. I joke that I don't care anything about Mormonism. It's, it still interests me a little bit. 
But this whole process of what's going on is what drives me to do this and some of the things that we're able to accomplish and the, the, the people. Um, I, I love ex-Mormons. I get mad at them. I criticize them. Um, but the people who can make the leap are, are fascinating people to a person because it is such a psychological barrier to get over. It takes such a reinvention of self that every single person I've met has a fascinating story and it's, it's all individual and interesting. And I'm endlessly grateful for that in my life. I want to say something, a disclaimer about what we're going to talk about though, because I see this, you know, John DeLynn, we've talked about him before, but anytime John DeLynn changes his mind, the world breaks loose and everybody freaks out. And uh, I, I have seen you grow and evolve just in like the last year since we put up the studio and, and sometimes you take a lot of criticism for that. You get a lot of criticism if you don't hate the church 100% all the time. People want you to to constantly hate it. So you, you get that criticism or you get criticism to change your mind. And I just think that it's such a healthy thing to be able to change your mind and to have your views changed. And so I would just like to put that out there for anyone who likes to say, but, 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 but in 2010, you said this. And that's that's the whole point of growth and like living life and people should be able to evolve. Yeah, I agree. These are really hard issues and uh, issues with identity and who we are. And if that's not changing, you're not doing it right. Um, There's elements of our personality that are really constant. We're really not going to be able to change. But to be able to reflect on what you yourself are doing is is one of the most powerful things of ex-Mormons. I was just praising them. But I I know I said this once years ago. The most fascinating thing about ex-Mormons is they were all profoundly profoundly wrong about something big and they've swallowed that that is a rare human trait to be able to say i was not only wrong i was really really wrong and it changes the way they look at the world and i know from being with ex-mormons you know late to the night talking into the dawn that they come across um, you know, they get accused of taking on atheism or science and all these things as a new as new religion. They're not nearly as definitive in the things they believe. They have they have a much stronger skepticism to their own sense of self and their own sense of belief that that they're oftentimes afraid of being vulnerable to because we feel an enorm we ex Mormons feel an enormous amount of pressure to live perfect lives. Um. I, I know one of, the, one of the criticism out there about me among LDS people, I've seen it come up several times, is you can't listen to anything John Larson says. Look at his life. It's a fucking mess, right? I think I have a wonderful life. I mean, here's my, here's my beautiful ex-wife here. We, we went for a walk on Sunday, didn't we? Thursday. <laughs> See, they're arguing already. Thank um, you. Um, and and um, you know we we've we've gone on to live our lives. We've still we still are our friends. We still have a great relationship. She's a wonderful mother um, to our children. Um, I'm experiencing new things in life that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. I traveled recently to Europe, kind of alone. I met some friends up there. I wasn't completely alone, but. Um, I think about things, and I've, I've had just this amazing life. 
that I wouldn't have had had I stayed in the structure of the church. I have made some mistakes, but they're my mistakes, and I love them, and I own them, and I've learned from them in ways that I didn't learn when I was just given a structure, when I was just told this is the right way to do things. Um, So let's sally forth. Liquor. (laughs) He's finished the Heineken, and he's on round two. Um. I drink in moderation, in, 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 in a, a lot of moderate. I drink about a drink to two a, a week. And I will oftentimes skip weeks and weeks without having a drink at all. Um, alcohol is not something that, that calls to me. Uh, but one of the joys of life that I found are things that are really good. I've, I, I, I am now sort of a foodie in the... I'm not really a foodie because I like shitty food too, but um, I'm a foodie in that I really like um, the, the, the fine elements of wine and of scotch, as I talk about, and of cheese and these things, that these tastes that I've discovered. As a Mormon, I only ever knew sweet. And then to get out there and start learning what bitter, I couldn't stand bitter, and I didn't even know what dry meant. I couldn't even wrap my head around that in, in the beginning. But after years of trying, it took me years to learn to drink coffee. And some people might say, why would you want to do that? Because it's wonderful. The same reason you teach your kids to, to, to um, eat broccoli. So I went through that, and I learned the joy of, of sipping on scotch. So, like, I talk about scotch a lot. When I drink a, 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 a drink of scotch, you know, an ounce and a half, I'll usually drink that for two hours. Um, so... A lot of ex-Mormons and don't know what drinking moderation is. And they, they start putting a lot of sugar in drinks. And they start just pounding vodka. And what I realized is in this podcast, there was an arc where I started joking about alcohol more and more and more and more. Um, and about a year ago, I realized this is a problem because alcohol can be a problem. And I use this kind of stand for some of the things that I have been very flippant about. Um, things like sexuality. There are all sorts of different models of sexuality out there that work for all different sort of people. But not everything works for everybody. And sometimes you're playing with fire. There are real elements of danger. There's pregnancy, there's STIs, there's, there's all sorts of things. A lot of these risks are overblown, but the emotional risks are there. And I know sometimes because I'm tweaking the church and tweaking the, 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 the moral code of the church in, in, a, in a way to kind of shock people's systems deliberately, I have been too light on those things in times when I should take them more seriously. So most of the time, I'm having a beer tonight, most of the time when I'm here in the studio I drink tea um, and, um, or decaffeinated coffee because caffeine keeps me up late. But I, I, I really struggle with that, how much we just, and I don't really care about the stereotypes anymore. I don't really give a fuck what Mormons think about us anymore. But I do worry that I haven't necessarily modeled good behaviors for people coming out of the church. And that's something I've tried to repent for. I don't know what to add to that because you said it so well. And I agree that at times it seemed um, like we took drinking a little too lightly and it's fine if it's not a problem for you to it's easy to do that because you don't see the the significance of the harm it can do 
Yeah, and I, I think it's a function of time. When we first got out of the church and people start drinking, you know, you're, you're oftentimes talking about this age group of 30 to 40-year-olds. And I would say, oh, this is great. People start drinking when they're 30 to 40. They don't encounter the problems that other people do. Now I've been out of church for 10 years, and I've watched people who started drinking their 30 get their lives destroyed by addiction. And now I can no longer say that. Now I've unfortunately seen it. So, so... So you're not free and clear just because you start drinking late. I'll, there's a lot of things in adulthood, like relationships, like having kids, like having a job, like having a mortgage, like drinking alcohol. They have inherent risk. That's part of being an adult. And part of the, many of the most joyful things you have in life have an element of risk about them. I've mentioned recently one of the joys of my life right now is riding a, a bicycle. I ride a road bike. I train for these, these long road, these long races. I am not a light guy. I'm a little heavy, is what I'm saying. When I go barreling down hills at 40 miles an hour, if I hit a rock, I'm dead. The best case is I'm in the ICU. I can't let that stop me because I have to learn to control the bicycle. I have to learn to deal with that risk. Otherwise, all I'm going to do is sit on my couch and watch TV. So there are things that are worth the risk. But you have to understand the risk for yourself. And I think it's hard in this podcast sometimes to say there's this world out there and it's not Mormonism. We turn Mormonism on head and therefore it's all okay. And I have been guilty of that for sure. But you've said before that it, you know, they have to be careful. I don't, I don't think you've encouraged drinking, even though you've, like you said, maybe not always been the best example. Well, I, I play into stereotype. I curse like a sailor. I talk about drinking. I talk about sex all the time, right? Um, and so, so Mormons can use me as a stereotype of why they couldn't listen. Now, I will say I'm, I'm a fairly deliberate person. I swear on purpose on this podcast. Um, and I get an email about once a week that somebody says something to the effect of, I want to take your podcast to give to my whoever, but I can't because you're, you have a potty mouth. And I respond, it's that way on purpose because if they can't handle the fuck, they can't handle what I'm talking about. And it's sort of this, um, shibboleth, um, to, to use a biblical reference to keep people out. Um, who aren't ready to listen to it. Because one of the messages I've heard over and over and over again is I tried to listen to your podcast. It was too much. It was over the top. And then I went and retreated back. And then I came back and I was ready for it. Um, because this comes to my second point, which is, um, well, this is my fourth point, but I'll, I'll circle around. That the people should read, leave religion and, and, and deconvert. Um, when I first started this podcast, one of the ideas was, well, what really does it, there's always this question of the smoking gun. And my answer was, there is no smoking gun. It's this totality. When you look at it in the the whole, although I think I finally figured out the smoking gun, but I don't want to give it away tonight. I've got, I've got it. I've got the smoking gun. Um, so basically everything, ignore everything you're about so everything, to say. Everything I'm about to say is bullshit. But okay. um, <laughs> that the, the, you, you have, the, you have the, this, 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 this problem of deconversion. And the, the early part of the podcast oftentimes we focus in on saying, here's this part of Mormonism, isn't it ridiculous? Here's the part of Mormonism, isn't it ridiculous? And, and, 
And really ridiculous is being strong because I think it was more like, isn't this weird? Isn't this funny? Isn't it strange we all believe this stuff? Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it kooky how this all works? And I've always had a loving aspect to this because I believed all this stuff. And I haven't lost the fact on that. that it, it makes me smile as I look back on these things. And, to know, and I was pretty well educated. I mean, I understood evolutionary theory and I understood the scientific method. But I still bought all this stuff. And I just find that lovingly fascinating about myself and about all of humanity. And I know I sit and make fun of it endlessly. But it's me I'm making fun of as much as anybody else. Because I was right there. I'm not an outsider. I believed it. I was right in it. So you're saying (laughs) that you've um, kind of stepped away from the idea that the big picture of everything that's strange should convince people to leave the church. Yeah, um, I've got several points, and I'm trying to decide which one to go to first. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a step back and, and, and go the order I, well, I have them in. I want to interrupt you on that one, because I'm confused at what you're saying that you've changed or have changed on, because I've heard people say that at the beginning of the podcast, it was like really friendly towards the church, and now it's gotten really angry at the church. But are you saying the opposite? Um, the, in the beginning of the podcast, the first few episodes, um, I was really trying to create an environment in which people who were more friendly towards the church felt comfortable coming on. Um, we really wanted a model where we would bring in a lot more interviews. Um, that was when Mormon Stories was at still out of the picture. Mormon stories was still out of the picture. We were sort of following that model. The personalities on the podcast had not developed as much and we were trying to keep it safe. Um, as a matter of fact, the first casualty of, um, and casualty is a strong word. Um, that there's been people come on the podcast, they drift, they drift, they come and they go. And oftentimes it's different creative direction and, and, and that sort of thing. You can see it sometimes in their side projects, which are great side projects, or I shouldn't say a side project. That's from my perspective. They've started their own podcast and they go about it a different way, which, which is great. Um, so, but one of the first real differences was when I, John Delin and I in 2010 did a joint podcast and I said, Mormon expression is not safe. And, and what I meant was that Mormon expression is not going to, is not going to sugarcoat anything. We want to look at the things the way they really are. Um, for, for, for the beauty of it, for the weirdness, for, for how crazy it is, and, and not try to prove necessarily that it's wrong or stupid. Um, and sometimes it is. You know, if, if, if you say you have, like, iron weapons or steel weapons in Mesoamerica, that's stupid. And we're going to talk about how stupid it is. But um, it's, it's not like we're trying to, to demonstrate that people who believe that are stupid or whatever. I know it's a fine distinction lost on probably everybody but me. But when I said it wasn't safe, that's what I meant, is we weren't going to try to dumb it down in order to please people who should know better. Because the, one of the reasons I don't bother curbing in my speech is, all right, now I'm going to get into fighting words. I think that I have a much higher opinion of Mormons than a lot of the New Order Mormons and liberal Mormons and Sunstone Mormons do. He just Be- pointed at me. <laughs> Lindsay works for Sunstone. So, <laughs> so because they will oftentimes get in these little councils and say, well, how do we have to make this so the Mormons can take it? Mormons can take it. 
They can take it. They can take me saying fuck. They can take us talking about sex. They're a lot smarter than people give them credit for. And they can listen to this podcast, and they do listen to this podcast, and they can say, I disagree with John on that point. They can say, I agree with him on this point. And I they disagree can still- with John on this point. <laughs> Continue. Oh, okay. So, so, I mean, I have a higher opinion. All right. Well, that leads to my, my point, bombacity versus kindness. This is something I have struggled with consistently. Wait, I have to interrupt you on this, because I heard uh, a friend of mine who's a Mormon apologist several years ago, it's always stuck with me, he did a Facebook post, and he said, just want to give a tip to all those on Mormon podcasts. When you use the word bombastic, you're using it wrong. How am I using it wrong? Um, so he claimed, and so I was just looking it up because I, I saw it in your outline, and I was like, oh, no, it's that word again. Um, he claimed that you were using it as, I don't know, um, anti, uh, what's the word, gentle, like the opposite of gentle. And the definition means inflated. Yeah, no, no, I, I know that, that, that you're just making noise to make noise. That's what bombacity is. You're just going blah, 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 blah with nothing behind it. Um, yeah, and I think you were being accused of using it to mean like mean. So it's, well, I think, I think meanness would be a component of it, that you're overly inflating what you're saying just to make it about the speech as opposed to having real, any real substance behind it. And, um, and I use it sort of in a self-deprecative way. Um, rhetorically... We punch things up a little bit um, on, on, on Mormon expression. And I, I've mentioned before that, that a, a good speech technique and a good debating technique is to push things to their extremes um, because then it's easier to make the case. This is why. And it's an inside joke now, by the way, that we try to bring up the Nazis in every single podcast. But it's, it is deliberate that we, that we do that. Um, and, 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 and so I have that element of this in-your-face sort of dialogue that can be over-the-top and borderline rude and definitely not respectful, definitely blasphemous. I mean, I love to play with blasphemy. Um, versus kindness, and I, I understand that these things are really close to people's hearts. And I oftentimes, I struggle with this a, uh, quite a bit um, because... I know, I know a lot of the things that I can say about the church can be quite hurtful. But the reason I do it is because my audience are people who have already figured out that the church is wrong and something is terribly wrong. And the normal course of action is for them to internalize that because this is what the church trains people to do. The church trains you to think and say, if it's not working for me, what's wrong with me? I'm not doing it right. And if the podcast was going to be boiled down to any one thing, it would be, it's not you. It's the system. This, there's all this crazy stuff that you've been kind of pulled into, and you're not crazy. The system around you is crazy. And, and I greatly struggle with that because on a personal level, I really don't, I really don't like that. In the early days, I, I have listened to at least one of the podcasts. I, I, I was told that I at one time called um, Elder Packer a dick. Um, well, I went back to the podcast and listened for it, and it wasn't there. So if somebody can tell me if it's there, I know I've had that sentiment. I no longer have that belief. I no longer blame the people at the top of the church. I see them as victims. Um, and I've tried to go out of my way to de- defend them, even though I, I, uh, they're, they're sort of 
guilty of the of the crimes that they're running through, but I don't see them as personally responsible um, because they're they were products of the system just like the rest of us were. And the idea that I know that I have attacked individuals before causes me pain because I don't I don't think that's the right approach, and that's not who I am at, at, at my core. So to steal a word from Zilpha, Packard's not a dick, but he can be dickish. Dick, it is, it's one of the greatest things that Zilpha said. She corrected us one time and said, people aren't dicks, they're, they have dickish behavior, right? That's right. Um, and, and I, I have re- regretted, and I know I sometimes get into that where, where I will put personal blame on people, and I really don't want to do that. That is something that when I realize I've done it, it causes me pain because it's not, that's not that's not what's going on and that's not going to solve anything by villainizing people because the system is much bigger than any individuals okay my next one um, things that I've that I've changed on or I, I, I debate a lot are, are God and spirituality um, there's times I identify myself as an agnostic and sometimes identify myself as an atheist um, I've used the term before apatheist which somebody doesn't care and lately I've identified myself as a not-give-a-fuck theist. Um, and because I really don't think the question of God is interesting. And there was a time in my life when the term spirituality grated on me. But I've realized that all these things that people talk about with spiritual um, behaviors, I think are tapping into something that's key inside our humanity. So something, I'll give you two examples of things that used to annoy me, tarot card readings and prayer. I will tell you now that they both work. Um, I, they don't work for the same reason that a lot of people think they work. But I, I think there's something to be said for quieting one's mind and getting in touch with one's emotions and um, clearing away a lot of that hoo-ha. And what these sort of things oftentimes do, what spiritual trappings, what ritual does, it allows us to do that. So although I still say that religion is fundamentally bad for humanity, the things that religion does exist for a reason. And I think as atheists and secularists, we oftentimes are overly dismissive of religion without asking the question, how did, why did humanity evolve these things? Why are they here? What purpose are they serving? And I know that's something that I've been extremely belligerent towards and dismissive of in the past. And um, I'm not so much so. Now, do I go to tarot card readings? No. Um, they don't really speak to me. But it's, it's something that as I get older, I'm sort of embracing that spiritual element. But I see it as something that's just beautiful inside humanity. I think we evolved not as individuals, but in groups. And I think that interaction, that that ability to communicate. We've only been, if we look at the evolution of our vocal cords, we've only been speaking to each other at best 40,000, 50,000 years. Um, but we've been fucking for like 5 million years, right? Um, so, so we've been getting together for a whole long time, and we've been communicating in ways that we don't understand vocally for a lot longer. And I think those elements of being able to read another person, another person's emotions, being able to have that sense of community and that sense of belonging 
are probably what most people are identifying as spirituality. And I think it's a hugely important thing and something that I know in the podcast we are absolutely dismissive of and we belittle, but it's of extreme importance. I'm just wondering where where do you think those old views come from, the idea of being clearly against God and ritual and religion? My old views? Uh-huh. Because I see the damage they do. They, they, they can be manipulated in such a way. Um, you know, a lot of people who do tarot cards and stuff are shysters. They're pulling money out of people. They're, they're, they're doing cold reads. They're, they're manipulating people. Um, that, that, that this is the problem of spirituality and religion in this is it's manipulated over and over and over again to get people to serve organizations in ways that are un, inherently unhealthy. I think that's our challenge for the next 500 years is find a way to tra- tap into this fundamental human need without it being hijacked. It's the same thing with nationalism. It's the same thing with universities. These all fall prey to these same sort of things. There, there's this fundamental good we're going after that is so ripe for exploitation. And that's really where my thoughts are these days is how do we meet these needs that people have, these fundamental needs of community, and not fall into the old traps? And I, I think I think the, this, this ball got rolling with the Enlightenment where the question was not how do we form an effective government, it's how do we form an, a government that's in control, that has checks and balances. The American system of government with its three checks and balances was not designed for its efficiency. It was designed specifically to not be efficient. Um, and oftentimes we get frustrated at that, but that's the way it was set up on purpose because we had had many thousands of years of very efficient... The pharaohs were an extremely efficient uh, at, at ruling Egypt. And sometimes that efficiency is not exactly what we want. So the question is, how do we get around that? Mormon Expression is a listener-funded program. If you like what you hear, please visit us at mormonexpression.com and consider becoming a subscribing member. While you're there, let us know what you think about the show. The next uh, big one, Um, the people should leave religion. This is one I have absolutely moved on. Um, there's a time when I believed that everybody should walk out of religion. Um, are you becoming a nom? A nom? No, no. And these, these are, these continue to be dialogue with my, with, with myself. You hear it now, people. Um, He wants you to go back to church. I think it was 2011. I wrote an essay, um, that, um, lost me a lot of friends, um, Facebook friends. So, Um, I, it was called Here I Stand. Um, I still, st- I read the essay again about four months ago and I still, I still believe it. Um, and the, the, the gist of the, is, the essay is that leaving the church is hard. And a lot of people choose not to do it for various reasons. But if everybody who knew the church was bullshit walked out, it would collapse immediately. Um, was the, the gist of the essay. And the essay was saying, you know, that you, you nomish people um, are kind of self-serving, staying in the church. And if you if you stood by integrity, then you would leave like we do. That's where I was wrong. Because what I've come to realize is I absolutely, and many of my ilk, left the church as a matter of integrity. It was absolutely that I could not keep going and feel honest about myself. I realize now that there are people who stay in the church equally as a matter of integrity. And they do so because they look and say, this is my identity. This is my loyalty to this organization. This is who I am. 
And for me to walk away from this and just let it collapse and go on on my own thing is to turn my back on who I am. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting thing because it's a flip side of the same equation. For me, it was a very important part of my identity to say I can no longer affiliate with this organization. But I understood, I understand now that that same sense of honesty and that same sense of person and belonging keeps people in and fighting. Now, should they and me keep battling this question out? Absolutely. We need to keep fighting this out and we need to keep battling it. But the idea that these people are somehow not, don't have the integrity of the people who walked out is completely false. And I'm completely wrong on that point. Well, I think that the thing that you are fighting against is not really yourself on this, but it's the, we talked about this before, it's the paradigm that was given to all of us that uh, we become such a truth, truth obsessed people. The church is true. The church is true. I know that, you know, the Book of Mormon is true. The church is true. We become obsessed with that, but we are given from childhood two options of truth. It's right or it's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And many people carry that out with the, you know, out of the church with them. And that's where I see a lot of anger. They're like, but it's, it's not true. What are you doing? And it, just like how you say the church is true, what does that mean? Saying that the church isn't true, what does that mean? It carries a lot of the same nuances. And so I think that that's what you're speaking to here. Um, to, for something to be true doesn't mean it has to mirror your experience. Because as atheists know, truth is a hard thing. What is truth? Absolutely. And this is my next point. But the last thought I'll add there is, uh, lest I sound like I'm becoming um, nomish, I think the church is fundamentally harmful. And I think religion is fundamentally harmful. And I still believe that I have a moral duty to battle against those things. That I don't necessarily want to attack the faith of an individual. And most of my friends who are Mormons can't get me to talk to them about faith. I won't do it. Because I don't want to be the one responsible for this. Because it's fucking hard to leave the church. It's really hard to go through that identity crisis. And I do not want to force that on anybody. But that corporation downtown, they're free game. And they're, in the, they're battling it out. As long as they have missionaries in the field, they're not going to get me to shut up. Now, if they pull all those missionaries back and start living like Hindus do, I'd back down too. But they're not about to. And they're not going to get a free pass by... I was reading Oak's bullshit thing he just published on freedom of religion anyway um there so don't think that john's gone soft here because because they need to go away this church needs to end and it needs to end as soon as it can but there's going to be a lot of floatsome and jetsome and we all have to be careful of that and we all have people we love that are going to get hurt and this battle is getting hot and I'm not just talking about between Mormonism and, and there's, there is a war that is getting hot between fundamentalism, the Islamic growth, between secularism and, and economics across the world, the haves and the have-nots. I don't know where this is going to end up. And I don't know if it's going to get hot in our lifetime, but the storm's coming and things have changed. And we all have a chance to be a part of that. We have a chance to take two paths to turn it dirty like it has gone in the past and just keep escalating and escalating and driving planes into buildings and sending drones over. Or we have a chance to build something else, to go down another path. 
and say, is there something that we can do that that splits that? I don't know what so, the fuck that so is. So what you're saying, don't be a fence sitter? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. What I'm telling you is everybody needs to get out of the church. What I'm, what Wait, I'm hearing, no, no, what no, I'm no. hearing <laughs> is like the war in heaven. Like we all chose and it's, see, I think you're back in those, uh, those same uh, choices, binaries again. I, I'm saying I don't know what the answer is. I'm saying that, that, that there's evil out there and we can call it evil and we can fight against it. What that fight is, I don't know. And I'm trying to find the answer. And people might look and say, well, look at all these things that, that John and Mormon Expression have tried to do that hasn't worked and hasn't worked and hasn't worked. Yeah, what was it? Edison said he discovered 168 ways to not make a light bulb before he made the right one. That might be ur- urban legend or whatever. But I'm just going to keep trying. And I'm going to circle back. And I'm going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying until we find something that works. And the fact that some of the things we've tried have not worked so far is fine. Um, I was sitting around drinking with some of my buddies the last week that we started our the living community, the church. It was successful. It, we had money, we had buildings, we were going, and we all burned out on it. So we said, let's take a break. Did I give up on the idea? No. Um, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place. Is that the right thing? I don't know. But we'll keep trying at it. We'll keep pushing. We'll keep going. Because that's the only thing we can do. Um, so, so to the point here on your list about the noms, that sounds good. Nom. Nom, <laughs> nom. Did we do it? Nom stands for New Order Mormon, which is sort of a liberal, maybe non-believing Mormon. Right. And then what you said about not sitting on the fence. So I remember previous conversations where we kind of felt like people that took that view, the cafeteria Mormons, were sort of sitting on the fence, not really willing to jump all the way in or jump all the way out. So how do you how do you I, see them now? I, I see them as coming from a place of their own personal integrity, but I need them. I need them. I need them to get off the fence. Wait a minute. But... Okay, so you still want them to get off the fence, but you don't blame them for being on the Correct. fence. Correct. I don't see it as a character flaw. Um, because the more of them that we can get helping me and all of us try to build these things, and you know, because one of the principles that we're driving with Whitefields is to empower other people to do creative things. I have things I can do, but I'm very limited in my talent set. In my talent set. And there's others who bring a lot more things to the table. And I'm trying to find ways to empower those people and to, you know, I use the example all the time. The principle behind Whitefields is we can have consolidated accounting and lawyering and that sort of thing so that we can let people just go do their own thing. And because and, we're up against a huge organization with the church and they have so much money. Um, and and there's some of the people who are in church miserably teaching Sunday school who are much more compassionate, who are more brilliant, who are better speakers than I, and if we can get those people out, but I'm not going to try to get them out. They have to do it on their own. But my point is, I no longer see them as doing something wrong. I, I, I believe that they're acting out of the goodness of their own hearts. So to use a fence metaphor again, you're saying, go ahead, climb that fence, and you can sit on it for a while if you need to rest, but eventually get down off the fence and come into my yard. Is that what you're saying? We want you over here. We gotcha. need you. The grass okay. is greener. 
It is, and it tastes better. All right, um, logical fallacies and the importance of logic. Um, there is an old, old Western paradigm that goes back to the Greeks, um, this mind-body dualism that we kept all the way through Rene Descartes, and, and that, that, that there's the mind and the soul. Um, you know, in the last 150 years, we've abandoned it, but there's still a dualism that is very much alive today. We talk about emotion and logic as if they're two separate mind systems. They're not. They feel like it. They feel like it, but that's because your brain is lying to you. Your emotions all exist in your mind, as does all of your logic. These are all part of the same organ. These are all part of the same system. Except logic doesn't usually stir your heart, like give you that feeling. That's the thing about emotions is that they involve more than just this part of your body. They involve lots of parts of your body. Absolutely. Then where does the term nerd boner come from? A what? What did you just say? A nerd boner. A Have ner- you ever heard of that? No. What are you talking about? Don't act like I'm shocking you now. Uh, uh, did you say a nerd it's like, boner? Have you ever watched like, Cosmos like a and got boner, a, yeah, or? like a nerd boner? Boner. No, I can't wait, even say the word. I don't even know what you're talking. I'm, I'm blushing. I don't even know what you're talking about. All right, let's move along. <laughs> You guys have heard that term, nerd boner? Well, no, oh, so you're nobody this in the room. Is more so it's like something really turns you on. That's that's a logical, an intellectual idea. Yeah, you guys have had a nerd boner before. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't Good know grief. it. Don't act like a, he's I clutching his pearls <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm so offended right now. Sorry to do. It's hard, the hard to even go on. <laughs> Ex-Mormons, and I'm, I've been guilty of this, um, really get a nerd boner for um, the importance of logic. Um, and we really get Perfect off... Perfect use of the term, by the way. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. We really get off on the idea that we can prove everything logically, um, logically um, impossible or whatever. The, and emotions and, are not to be trusted. Emotions are not to be trusted. But, but the, one of the ways this plays out is fallacies. You'll see the, the, in all the atheist and secular <laughs> forums, they walk around, fallacy, fallacy, fallacy. And I used to do this too. And you feel like superior. Oh, that's the fallacy. And then I read one, and I, this was literally only six months ago, and it floored me. And I'm sure you guys all know this, but it just, it just shows you can keep learning things to your life. The fallacy, fallacy. You guys know what the fallacy, fallacy is? The fallacy fallacy is that if something is a fallacy, it's invalid. It's not true. So if I make an argument that involves a fallacy, I say, um, give me a good fallacy. What's a, what's a fallacy? My, my Latin is the, 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 the no, no, no true Scotsman. Um, so no true Scotsman fallacy is that um, what you do is you tighten up your definition. If, the, if you say... Um, Mormons believe the Book of Mormon happened in in the New World, and and then it couldn't happen in the New World because whatever you you, you want to mention in there it says there's elephants, um, there's elephants in the Book of Mormon, right? Like the Book of Ether. So what 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 the No True Scotsman fallacy would do is they would tighten the definition up. Oh, it only happened in a region, or it only happened in Mesoamerica, or the battle counts were off. So they'll they'll keep tightening the definition. So the, 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 it comes from, I don't remember, you say, Scotsman, don't do this. And then you say, well, this Scotsman did it. Well, no true Scotsman <laughs> would do this. So you, you keep pulling the definition back. 
Okay, if you use that, that is indeed a fallacy. But just because an argument is um, has fallacy, that doesn't mean that the premise is false. Um, so it means that the argument is invalid, but it does not mean the conclusion is invalid. So, like everybody who owns a Honda is intelligent, that would be a fallacy. But it, but it, you're saying it might be true. It could very well be true. The fact that that argument is a fallacy, which it is, does not invalidate the conclusion. Everybody who does own a, but. Atheists, smarmy atheists will walk around breaking out fallacies on you like they're telling you some sort of truth. All they're telling you is that the argument is invalid. I use this as an example because we take and we fetishize logic. The problem is logic is absolutely true, and I believe in logic, and I believe in the scientific method. I think they're very important. But we live in our emotions. We experience the world emotionally. And I think we... This is why you cannot convince anybody the church is not true. Because all you can do is prove it to be illogical. You can prove it to be phallocytical. You can prove it to be inconsistent, incongruent, completely uh, nonsense, which we have, right? In, in this very studio, we've done that over and over again. Um, but, but that's not how it works. That's not how people live and process religion. And that's the problem that a lot of these groups, if you get onto to these Facebook groups of ex-Mormons, are constantly talking about this stuff, and they're completely missing the point. The people are religious for emotional reasons. And I've been guilty of this quite a bit. Now, once again, the reason I still do this is because that logic becomes important for people who have lost that emotional break with the church, the people who have decided the church is not true, and now have to build a new framework. So then it becomes very important for building a framework on logic, for understanding how fallacies work, and how we arrive at erroneous conclusions. Those things are all extremely important. Well, and also, isn't it important as a tool to check your emotions? Because your emotions are not going to tell you any more what is true, they're, they're worse. It is. It is absolutely. That that, that's what I meant But when I was saying that we bifurcated the two systems, but really our minds are together. And to understand that your logical systems have to work in concert with your emotion system, and your emotions are not invalid. The fact that you miss the church, or you loved aspects of it, or you love this particular hymn, or that you may not believe in God, but you sure still feel like praying sometimes that that's okay, that that's fine, that, that those are emotional states. Well, we see that this with is it Tyler Glenn from the Neon Trees. He spoke about this, about how he's been really criticized for not leaving the church or abandoning his Mormon faith because he's gay. Everyone's like, why are you doing this? They're terrible to gay people. Why don't you leave? And I think that many of us have felt this pressure to like, well, if you know this and this and this, if you know Joseph Smith you know, was polyandrous, then why do you why do you stay? Why do you love the church? And it's like you said, I, I've said on this podcast many times, it's really complicated. You can't take away, you know, thirty years of my experience, and it's, and then tell me and try to t- define that for me. You just can't do that. It's very similar to. I mean, when you were saying that, it sounded exactly like someone who was in a not not a very good marriage, maybe even a slightly abusive marriage, but. There are. I'm not looking at you for. There, we did not. We did not have an abusive marriage no, no, in any not. way. But um, but you know, if if somebody else says, why don't you just leave 
them. A lot of times people say it's very complicated. This is like 30 years of my life. And it's, there's a lot of investment here. And it's, it's not a simple answer. No, and it takes a long time. You know, ha- having um, gone through therapy myself, having gone through divorce, having done, there's oftentimes things that you know, you're, 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 you logically know something, but it takes a long time for your emotions to accept those things. And I think I rhetorically have been dismissive of that over the years and not given that its due credit. And and I, I, I'm afraid sometimes I've made people feel like they're behind or that they're not, you know, they're, once again, they feel not worthy because here they were not feeling worthy in the church. And here there's this saying, oh, look how stupid the church is, where, where, where. And they're still not there emotionally where some more people might be more advanced and again, perpetuating those Quote cycles advanced. of shame. What? Quote advanced. You said other people are more advanced. Advanced but. along the, the, the ability to logically understand, say, for example, why religion does what it does or, or, or why Mormonism isn't true. And, um, you know, that, that I've been guilty of shaming people for not having fully accepted that emotionally. Well, I would say the same thing goes for ex-Mormons who, I mean, we hear this terrible poisonous dichotomy of or, or, you can't leave the church. You can leave the church, but you can't leave it alone. You know, that's something ex-Mormons will constantly, constantly fight. But it's the same thing. Uh, logically, you know, it's not true. You don't attend church anymore. Your family's not involved anymore. You've moved on from it. So why do you still care? Like, logically, you could make the argument that you should move on. But people don't. We know that. And there are reasons why people don't move on. It's because of the investment. It's because of the emotion. It's because of the body memory that you have. It's not so simple. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and we don't. We don't move on from things that are significant in our lives. We don't move on from significant relationships. We never fully recover when people we love die. That's a part of the beauty of being a human being. And the fact that ex-Mormons never recover from being a, a Mormon is a bit tragic, but it's also beautiful. It's part of who we are. It's part of our identity. It's it's part of our people. Um, and even though it's been so long that I don't behave in Mormon ways, I don't think in Mormon ways anymore, um, I don't process the world through a Mormon lens, I still feel a sense of identity. I mentioned this. I went to a funeral of my aunt back in the fall in September, and it was just the singing the hymns, the sitting in the pews, I don't want to do it, but it was a very peaceful experience for me. It was very reminiscent for me, kind of like seeing an old Popeye cartoon that you haven't seen in 30 years. You're like, oh, I used to like that. You're not about to get the DVD box set or anything, but it's part of who you are. And I think what I've seen in a lot of ex-Mormons, and I know we talked about this in the identity one, there's, there's, being, a, there's being a Mormon, being an ex-Mormon, then transcending. And you reach that transcendent place, and there's a lot of acceptance there. And... Because this podcast and the ex-Mormon, the post-Mormon world works with people on the cutting edge, we seem overly fo- focused on that more so than I think, Zilpa, you can say that we were or are in our lives right now. Um, you know, it, it, it's not something that, that, that really predominated what, how we function in our lives. Nodding doesn't help on a podcast, Zilpa. I'm nodding, sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, anarchy versus structure. Um, uh, there's an arrogance that people like me have um, that I have backed away from over the past um, three or four years. 
the arrogance is I figured this out and, and you all might need to go to Sunday school and you all might need to be told where to pay your tithing and you might all be need to be told where to put your dick, but I don't need to be told any of that stuff because I'm beyond that. And, and there is an element, especially on the edge of leaving Mormonism that embraces anarchy. And you see it come up. We get heat with Whitefields being a structured organization. Anybody who tries to organize gets heat because there's this element of, an- nodding. of anarchy. What? So am I. We're nodding. We're both oh, nodding. Oh, you're both nodding. Thanks. Yes. Thanks. Um, and I was there because when you've been part of a fundamentalist organization and been dictated to for so long, the last thing you want is more of that, right? That, that you embrace your own moral agency. And I mean that in the most positive way. You get to go out and figure out what's right and wrong, what feels right and wrong for you. There were things that I did in church that didn't feel right. I hated going visiting teaching or home teaching, whatever the hell it's called to people who didn't want me there. Um, and I don't like forcing or perpetuating relationships that are uncomfortable. So I don't have to do that anymore. But I've come to realize that human beings, and myself included, need more structure. And anarchy does not work. Um, and unfortunately, there are some downsides to structure, which are hierarchies, which are of specialization, and these these elements of sort of business and psychology. And leaders who can let you down. Leaders who will disappoint you, who will who will not live up to your expectations. Um, um, waste in systems. Um, you know, you start collecting money together, and there's going to be overhead, and there's going to be things that they would do that you wouldn't do, and that sort of thing. But um, and I'm not just talking about on a corporate nature. We need one another. And, and we need these, the, we need these structures that, that are in place. And I realize more and more that some of the problem of the, of the ex-Mormon world has been the lack of these structures. And where I see this play out more, more often than not is that once again, ex-Mormons are some of the most dynamic, intelligent, graceful people and they self-form these structures. But, and, and there's plenty of people who've opened their homes and their hearts to complete strangers and who have, who have gone through the cycle again and again and again. And if you walk through Salt Lake City as an archaeologist of ex-Mormonism, you'll find culture built on top of, or culture on culture on culture. Because what happens is there is a cost to the, to this. That that sort of anarchy that we're talking about that comes when people come out of the church becomes emotionally overwhelming in time and people have to step back. They will give of themselves for a couple of years and then they'll step back and they'll usually form a smaller group. Um, I have, from this podcast, many, many tens of thousands of people who used to listen, which I'm perfectly happy with, who've moved on. A lot of these people have friends or their main social circles are ex-Mormons, but they're ex-ex-Mormons. And they no longer interact with those people, not because they don't love them, not because they don't care about them, but that chaos and that anarchy and that pain that comes on the, on the edge of, and it's masked as being woot girls um, while they're doing it. Um, they, they, so so there are people coming out of church just 
just convinced to tell the world that they are okay and everything is fabulous. And then there's this other group of people says, call me in two years. And the problem is without structure, that keeps collapsing and then having to reform and collapse and reform and collapse and reform. So one of the rhetorical and philosophical differences that, that I had is, is this idea of privilege. And I think, Zilfa, you and I did a reasonability podcast when I was looking down the archive, and I think I, we titled it um, the, the Privilege of Atheism, which is this idea that, that being a free spirit without structure, without religion, without community is really um, a luxury of the middle class. Um, and 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 people have access to the internet and books and all sorts of and they can hire therapists and can do it themselves. That the 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 poorer classes, the the working class, don't have that kind of luxury. And there's a lot of people who don't necessarily have the education, the training, or whatever to even be able to do that to go out and form their own structure. Let alone, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but churches are full of people who have maybe not as high of IQ, they have social problems, they have mental disorders, they have actual physical disabilities. And we have failed. We have failed these communities over and over and over again because we go off in our own smarmy way, convinced of how superior we are to all these fuckheads in religion and how great we have it, but it's a product of our privilege. And it's a product of what we have been given oftentimes unearned. Agreed. And and um, so uh, a a um, a real change in my philosophy has been: we have a responsibility to build those structures, and we take shots for it. There are because of this undercurrent of anarchy, there are people who do not. And I will just make it personal: there are a lot of people who do not like me at all. Because I founded this nonprofit, and and the nonprofit gives me very little in return except less time. Um, but it's something I believe in strongly. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that we've talked about this before. Lots of lots of Mormons and ex Mormons get very triggered by authority. So I see that as well. And what we're looking for is healthy authority. Not no authority. Well, and, and healthy authority is oftentimes authority in check. Um, you know, like one of the things that we get asked for a lot is transparency. Um, and we try to be as transparent as we can. Oftentimes it's a matter of time. The, there's a bootstrap problem that the Whitefields is working with right now. Every startup company does, which is people say, oh, yeah, we want to give money to you, but we need to see your quarterly statements and we want to see, um, you know, your, your future business plan and show us who all your donations are and, and um you know, I'm working um, with a great business partner, Wendy, who works with me a lot. And we're putting in like our databases and our structures, things we just haven't had in place. Because it takes a fucking a lot amount of work to get that stuff in place. And to produce a quarterly statement is not something that somebody can just um, write off on a, on a Thursday afternoon in two hours. So, um, you know, we want to get to that point. But we're doing it in a way that... Um, takes work and takes structure and takes a lot of support and frankly just money um, to get it done. Okay. Here, here's, an, here's one where we're kind of, I know I'm wearing you down with all the things that I've been stupid about over the years. Um, living out loud. Um, 
was a statement that I I um, adopted for a couple of years that I've backed away from. Um, um, authenticity is, is is the idea, and the problem with it is uh, people will use it against you. Um, I still believe in this principle to some extent. The idea of living out loud is the religions have shamed us for so long and have taught us to live in the darkness and use that darkness to manipulate us, to make us feel isolated. This is why we talk about masturbation all the time. Well, it's awesome. And it is something that churches use to control people because everybody felt like, oh, I'm the only one who's doing this. They feel like I'm the weird one. I'm the one who's off balance. And But what what ex-Mormons get into is a cycle of promiscuous disclosure, which has a positive thing, which they all start confessing their sins to one another, and then they all start saying, oh, you too? Me too. Well, I guess we were normal. Um, the, problem, the problem is it can, be, it can be used in a way that can also be manipulative and can be used by people to, who want to harm you. Um, so I have moved to a much more private life than I have before, and I try to keep a balance between accessibility and inaccessibility. Um, I've said before that's one of the reasons the studio is here. I don't invite everybody into my home like like um, we used to do, um, and because having those boundaries is good and healthy for me. So I've encouraged people in the past kind of to live out loud, and but I would say do so with caution. Now be be careful. You don't owe anything to anybody. You don't have to tell anybody anything, and. Um, your life is, is, is your own. And this is one of those elements that becomes reactive. The church told us to keep everything secret, so then we want to tell everybody everything, and there's probably a happy balance. Right. I mean, you don't want to live most of your life inauthentically because that would be uncomfortable for you. But like you said, if you're cautious with your disclosures and how you go about it, that would be wiser than just being... Um, flagrant. Fla- flagrant? Yeah. Is that the right word? I feel like it's about leveraging your vulnerability, right? You don't have to put everything out there just because you can. I mean, I'm very vulnerable online. I do that on purpose. I have a, I have a purpose for that, which is leveraging my vulnerability. I understand that what harmed me was not being able to speak about certain things like eating disorders and so I speak about eating disorders quite candidly online because to me it's very important to live that part of myself out loud because it, because not doing so is what harmed me in the first place. But I don't I don't want people to see how dirty my minivan is. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so it's just not you don't need to see that. I mean, you can you can know I have a dirty minivan. It smells like a Happy Meal in there. But nobody. That, that's, to me, what it means. Living out loud doesn't mean, like, giving the middle finger to everybody who disagrees with you. To me, it means finding uh, where your compassion lies and uh, where your vulnerability lies and not shaming yourself for those things. Yeah, it's, I've, tried, I've tried to model, and it's, it's very difficult to do. I've tried to model um, a, a better, a better um, I don't know, um, model? <laughs> come up with a different word. I've tried to I've tried to come up with a, with a new way to model um, masculinity to, to, because we we have this idea of of leadership and people in charge and the idea that that 
you know, there have been times when I've gone to therapy or there have been times when I have um, not been, not been um, happy about things or I've been sad. But people have used these things against me. People will, will, will try to leverage these, um, the, the, these sort of things. It was a lot like, like, like the divorce. Um, you know, we, 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 we never really talk about really what the details of our divorce were, nor never will we. Those are, those are between us. But we tried to model ways in, in a way that made us vulnerable to show that, hey, this, this can be done in a successful way. But people think, use that against us. A lot of people, um, I think, appreciated seeing that. But a few people um, basically <laughs> defriended us because of that. Being, yeah, yeah. It, it, it caused, and, and I have to remind myself that that the vulnerability, the vulnerable aspect to my personality here services nine out of ten individuals, but that one is out there, and they can be nasty. Well, I would say that's more about them and not about you. I though. think it is about them. It is, it is, but it, it, it can be hard, and, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get a pity party for me. I'm saying this for every one of you, because everybody who leaves religion has to make this decision. Do I wear a sleeveless top to the family reunion? Knowing that, that those questions, while they seem so trivial to people outside the church, are enormous. They they can have ramifications for families for years That's and years. That's still to come. a very hard one for me, by the way. It you is. I, I smile at it because if if you're if you're not Mormon, you don't understand what a big fucking issue this is, and it can cause World War Three in families. I can tell everybody my secrets on a podcast, but wearing a tank top around my family. <laughs> takes guts it's really hard to do it is and and i so i would have said to go back living out loud I, three years ago i would have said do it you have to model these behaviors you have to be the trailblazer and now i'd say you're in control you're the one who gets to decide it's nobody's business what underwear you're wearing and you don't have to answer that question and if you're ready to do that do it fine but you don't owe that to me and you don't owe it to anybody else religion is none of anybody's business, um, but your own. Okay, we're down to the last two. 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 Two more. <laughs> um, I believe, and I've said that that religions and you know nationalism and, and things are systems of hate and pain. Not everything inside religion is hateful or painful, but they tend to use those memes. And 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 hate oftentimes is not necessarily the hate of the enemy, but the loathing of oneself and the loathing of one's own identity. The problem that podcasts like this represent, the fundamental logical flaw that I have, is that we're using a system to bring down a system of hate and pain that inherently is a system of hate and pain. The podcast itself can, in fact, reproduce the same tragic patterns that we're trying to resolve and it's something that I have lost many, many, many hours of sleep over and something that I battle constantly, internally, that, that we are attacking um, a way of belief, we're attacking a way of life, we're attacking individuals in a way that causes them pain. And that's why I go back to the point again and again, Mormon expression is not about people in the church. I don't want to touch them. 
I want the people who've experienced that pain and now are looking to heal and looking for a voice of somebody else who understands. And this is a tough one for me. Well, I think you're making good on that with Whitefields because all of us to be healthy, responsible citizens have to deconstruct our choices, our ways of thinking. We all have to do a matter of decolonization, basically, throughout our lives. And not just with religion, with everything, with what society tells us, with the choices. There's a term, I guess, I'm not really a fan of it because it's really loaded, but it means unschooling. You kind of unlearn what you've learned. Yeah. And and so it's important that you that you think critically and you break things down and you look at the history of the church and look at the flaws and lift up those rugs and see all those you know those bugs. But it's also important at least for me in my own life and my own health to not stay there because that's a hard place to stay, you know, and lots of us know that. We uh polygamy can make you angry. Um especially if you've once felt that you had to live it someday. I don't want to feel that pain forever, so uh, I want to move on. And I feel like deconstruction is a really huge part in that. But there's also a rebuilding process, which is what we're trying to do with Whitefield. So I don't think you can put that all on yourself. When I joke all the time about how I don't listen to any of the podcasts or or engage in that, that's partly a self-preservation activity that – I put in my energy and I put my heart into doing this as well as I can. But, and I respect, and I used to listen to these podcasts and I think, I, I think they're, they're, they're great. I think there's a lot of creative work being done out there, but I really have to isolate the rest of my life from Mormonism. Um, and I, I tend to, almost all of my friends are ex-fundamentalists of some sort. They were ex-Mormons or ex-Jehovah Witnesses or ex-Baptists or whatever. Um, because we sort of get each other, we understand what 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 that thing um, that we went through. But um, I I um, I worry sometimes, and we've talked about we're, we're going to do a podcast on the burning down of the VIP lounge. It's time to tell the story <laughs> of what happened, and part of it is, in fact, that if if I find if I feel like any of these ventures that are under my control are reversing this cycle and causing more pain and harm than they do good, then I will immediately destroy them. I will hit the self-destruct button because it ultimately has to be about moving to a better place. Yeah, I mean, that's not my method of doing things, but I understand. you gotta get your got to get your finger on that button, Lindsay. <laughs> I, I do. Can I read this quote? Uh, I know how you hate that I read quotes, but I've got a quote for you. Okay, this is from Doris Lessing from The Golden Notebook, and it's my favorite quote, and I might have read it on here before, but she says, ideally what should be said to every child repeatedly throughout his or her school life is something like this. You are in the process of being indoctrinated. We have not yet evolved a system of education that is not a system of indoctrination. We are sorry, but but it is the best we can do. What you are being taught here is an... Amalgam, I can say, um, amalgam. amalgam of current prejudice and the choices of this particular culture. The slightest look at history will show how impermanent these must be. You are being taught by people who have been able to accommodate themselves to a regime of thought laid down by their predecessors. It is a self-perpetuating system. Those of you who are, who are more robust and individual than others will be encouraged to leave and find ways of educating yourself, educating your own judgments. 
Those that stay must remember always and all the time that they are being molded and patterned to fit in the narrow and particular needs of this particular society. And anyway, I like that quote because I think that gives grace to people who are in the system. And I feel like, uh, I th- I feel like you're doing that well with, with Whitefields right now is you're saying, listen, uh, indoctrination is in- inevitable and we're going to break it down for you, but um, you're also giving grace for those. Grace, I mean, I, that's a religious word, but I think it's fitting for those who uh, are in the system. So I don't think you need to feel bad about that. I, I, li- I like the word. This leads us to to the last one, um, the in really an evolving thing for me um, is the importance of um, mental health structures. Um, and and I've come in contact. Um, well, I'll, I'll give them when 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 I when I burned down the VIP lounge, <laughs> um, we were dealing with sexual harassment. We were dealing with um, um, we had a schizophrenic that that we were dealing with, and we were just dealing with a lot of mental health issues. Don't give it all away right now. And and I just got tired of it. It was taking away too much of my time. And but what I realized over the years is that. A, there are, there are people who have real struggles. They're out there. Um, and not only that, all of us, and I mean real clinical struggle, like big time um, mental health issues, and all of us some time point in our life will have um, um, some struggles, if not constantly through our life, because the mental health system is a bodily system just like anything else and for some reason in our culture and and this comes somewhat from the mormon culture there's the idea that if i get strep throat that i i take intervention and i maintain that but there's this idea that if there's anything going on that you go through a period of depression or you go through a period of anxiety or you're you know you're having struggle coping with some issues life is fucking hard and i think we took with us out of the church this this Idea that mental health stuff is 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 um, something to be avoided, and and something ultimately in your own control. There's something that you just are weak. You just need to muscle through it. But it's simply not true. I mean the 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 interventions and things we do to deal with mental health issues are chemical. We can fix something surgically. This is a real physical system, part of your body. It's not just. This, we already established an hour ago that the mind-body dualism was bullshit, right? That, that's not true. So these systems need maintenance. And it doesn't necessarily reflect that you did something wrong if you have these issues. As a matter of fact, I shouldn't or even say that you're necessarily. being punished for leaving the church. or. And this goes to everything I've been saying, that people need a little bit of help and people need a, um, from time to time. We all do. And sometimes that's the form of a good friend, a parent, a sister, um, a, a, a partner, somebody who can listen, somebody who you can talk to, um, and and to realize that you, that you're not alone. And I have been guilty before. Of matter of fact, I just shaved somebody in, in the in the Facebook group because they posted that article um, about Utah has the highest usage of um, antidepressants or whatever. So. Wait, is that what you sh- how you shamed them? No, I told them to shut the fuck up and <laughs> get out. Um, Why? Because 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 it doesn't matter. 
Well, people who are taking antidepressants to deal with depression, we, we, we don't want to shame that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no, nothing. but isn't it uh, something worth looking at if if a particular segment of the population has a higher rate of of um, depression? Sure, but, but but taking antidepressants is is a treatment, right? We don't want to shame treatment of I don't, of, of oh, mental health. Were services. they shaming? Yeah, they that? put some other oh. comments. This I sort think of, there's just like an inherent stigma to say like look, see, you know, all these people are popping pills. And when you say that, you're giving a stigma to popping pills rather than saying, why? Why are they doing that? You know, as if, so someone listening, an outsider says, well, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the one taking pills. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so what an article came out said that every man, woman, and child in Utah was taking Prozac. That would be... So? Would you say no Prozac or would you say no... Utah, I guess. I, uh, you know, There's I, some are, are problem people, there. The question probably. is: Are do people have access to healthy treatment? Are they are they taking these things under supervision? Because because one of the arguments about that is that, well, in other states, people might have a higher inclination of self medicating with like um, box wine and marijuana, and is that necessarily a better route? No. So this article doesn't necessarily mean anything. It might be that Utah has much better mental health than than other people. But, but just the, the idea and the stigma that any sort of therapy or any sort of talking to somebody or taking medication is somehow inherently wrong, I think impacts people and drives people away from treatment. Because I guarantee you there's somebody in that group who reads that article who will not seek the treatment that they should get, who will be hesitant to take those sort of, um, those sort of um, intervention medications when they would be better off to take them. Well, and I'm just going to make this applicable to this situation. And first of all, I have to give a disclaimer because I've had people tell me that we don't talk enough about, there are some people that leave the church and it's easy for them and it, and they're happy and they don't have any mental issues to work with. So Yay. you are not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about people like me who it's very traumatic and I'm still processing it and I've had to get therapy to do it. And I will admit there's a part of me that when I'm in therapy goes, Oh man, if my mom knew that I was in therapy for this issue, she'd be like, this is what happens when you leave the church. It's so hard for you that you have to get therapy. See what you did. And that is a stigma that I think that we're talking about, that somehow you are flawed because you're getting help, rather than we should be celebrating that you're getting help because that's the healthy thing to do is to ask for help. It's healthy to be vulnerable. It's healthy to want to improve. It's healthy to want to get better. So I think that that's the stigma that we're talking about, that there's something wrong with you because you're getting treatment right right and i i think that like i said everybody can use a little bit of help and and that's one of the things we're trying to construct there are workshops and there are group therapy and there's individual therapy and there's medical intervention and there's a whole range of things that from time to time virtually every human being i i stand by the fact that anybody who makes it to 40 just needs to get into therapy just because they made it to 40 um because life is hard it's complicated and there's and a lot of stuff you have to process get bumped and bruised. every single person absolutely and 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 it doesn't necessarily mean you have to pay you know having a good friend um and i'm not against using wine therapy i wine therapy works for me too um but um yeah, I, I think we need to be more understanding of those things. And I think this is part of 
um, where we go and what we help build because the fundamental mission of Whitefields, again, is to say what are these structures that the churches did? How did they, um, what did they use to manipulate people into unhealthy behaviors? How do we construct those services in healthy ways that are non-manipulative and get people the, 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 the little bit of help they need, a little bit of push, a little nudge sometimes we all need. And, um, that's what I'm about. And people will say things, um, people will, in this podcast, there'll be people out there on the internet who will say awful things about me and, and how I'm broken or whatever. And I, I feel great. Um, and even if you didn't, that would be okay. It's okay to not be, I'm, I would say 80% of the time I feel wonderful, 20% of the time I feel sad. I'm, that's all right, you know. Sometimes I get bummed out. Um, life sucks sometimes, and the Nigerian girls are still missing. That's something to be bummed out about. There's a lot of there's a lot of awful things, but there's a lot of beautiful things, and there's a lot of things that are just sort of in the middle. To me, there's nothing better than sitting on the back porch with a friend and a bottle of wine and just talking about whatever pops into your head, and um, and I wouldn't trade that for anything, and. What I think religions do in a negative way is sort of say, this is, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do. And once you get cut from that moor, like I've said before in this podcast, you're riding some rolling waves at that point and you're going to feel things. Um, I feel more than I did when I was in the church for good and for bad. My emotions before were numb and they sort of made it that way on purpose. And that means you're going to feel more sad sometimes than you did before. But you're going to feel more happy sometimes, too. And and it's all right. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> we, we all need to hug it out after, I, I think. Um, so those are some of the things that I've... There's other douchey things I've said all the time. I didn't have a comprehensive list here. You got anything on your list, Zilpha, that I missed? No, I think these were the relevant issues. I'm just glad he, he recanted that I look at porn while we watch these. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's the most important one that you covered tonight. Well, we made an agreement. I won't talk to people about your porn use. It's a little it is, weird. It is. It's okay. I can be vulnerable. I'll just say it. this. Some people wouldn't even call it porn. So and that's how you can start getting into how weird it is. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Let's just say there are sloths involved. Do not send Lindsay pictures. Oh, did, stop it. Lindsay, did you hear? Were you listening to the podcast when I shamed everybody for sending you dirty stories? Yes, I did. <laughs> I just don't need to shame them. It was are you, an education. Are you still all. getting any? No, I did everybody listened. I did come into the studio tonight, and Lindsay's eyes went big, and she said, we have to do a podcast on everybody's sexual habits on their missions. So you apparently have stories to tell me. I have stories. <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't want to shame people for sending that. I asked for it. I just was surprised what I got. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, as always, the discussion continues over at the website at uh, mormonexpression.com. Uh, once again, a lot of great things coming up. Make sure to check out mormonexpression.com. Check out Whitefield's Educational. Um, there'll be more and more activities, more workshops, more fun things, and um, to a city near you. It looks like Portland in um, July and um, um, Seattle in August, and um, Virginia probably in September. Um, so I'll uh, see you out there. Thanks, everybody. Good night.
Expression is a production of the Whitefields Educational Foundation. Visit us online at whitefieldseducational.org to find more about our current initiatives. Home Expression is recorded live in downtown Salt Lake on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're in the area, please come join us in the studio.